Thank you, Jane. I'm Roy, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, everybody. It's only been through God's grace and by making some attempt to apply this program to my daily life and with the help of an awful lot of nice people that I'm able to be here and sober tonight. And I like to believe that it's neither been necessary or worthwhile for me to have a drink since September 28th of 1967. And for this gift, I'm very grateful. I'm also grateful to be anywhere at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm very grateful to your committee for inviting Millie and I to be here this weekend. The accommodations are beautiful, and I want to thank the, our friends from uh, Maryland General Service for that beautiful basket they left in the room. And I've already been into it. Uh, I don't know about Millie. I suspect she has, too. So we're looking forward to the weekend, and I'm particularly happy that I'm going to get to do this tonight. And then I'll be done, and I can sit back and relax and enjoy the rest of the weekend. What I'd really like to do is, uh, I guess, uh, I'm still a little selfish. I'd like to talk a little bit about me and uh, primarily about a program that I love so much. And I think that uh, it's maybe in order for me to try to tell you a little something about me. Uh, I've seen a lot of friends that I know, a lot of people here I don't know. Uh, I hope you all know me a little better before I'm through tonight and hopefully before the weekend is over. And I don't know any other way to describe me other than to tell you that uh, I grew up as a big shot or I acquired that a little later in life and I have to tell you how I got that. Uh, I was brought up in a little town in West Texas that's primarily a farming and ranching community and uh, got a little oil around there. And there were 650 people in that uh, entire town. So you can see how I got so cultured and uh, such a big shot so early. Uh, I uh, was the youngest of five kiddos. And I am one of those kind of people, and some of you will understand this, I imagine, that uh, I conformed most of the time while outwardly while I rebelled inside nearly all the time. And I think my conformity primarily was to get me out of that town where I could go something somewhere else and do something that I wanted to do. Now, my folks were the kind of people that were good, solid people. They are strong Baptist folks, and that'll tell you a little something else about my background. Uh, I was in and out of the church house every time it opened. <clears throat> and I had a good background. And I also rebelled against that, and I think one of my reasons for wanting away was where I could uh, get away from that and do exactly what I wanted to do. I had a lot of love in my family, but I had a lot of trouble accepting it. Uh, I like to keep people kind of out at arm's length from me, and I still have a little trouble with that. It's a lot better than it used to be, but if I held you out far enough, I felt like you weren't going to hurt me, but better than that, I wasn't going to owe you anything. So I could like you. Uh, but it was hard for me to get close to you. Now, one of the things in our family that was an absolute requirement, all four of those people who preceded me were either valedictorian or salutatorian of their graduating class. And it was not a thing that was asked. It was a thing that was expected, and that's the way a lot of things were with me when I was growing up. Now, I've got to tell you this story, uh, but i got to tell it a little different than I used to tell it. Uh, I want to tell you that through that conformity, I managed to be valedictorian in my class. 
Now, it used to be pretty important to me. Uh, I don't know, Millie and I, several years ago, in any event, is after I was sober quite a while, looked back at one of my old high school annuals. And in that class, there were six people. So uh, <laughs> it really didn't turn out to be quite as big a deal as I would have liked to have made of it to start with. And I'd also like to tell you that we have a lot of Mexican-Americans in our area, and uh, there may have been only three or four of us that could read and write the English language. Uh, that made it a little easier, too. Uh, I grew up uh, most of my young life out on a ranch and uh, out in the oil fields, and I met a lot of folks who their major of manhood was drinking whiskey, fist fighting, and chasing girls. And that's how you measured yourself, and that's really what I thought a man was. And I was a pretty good competitor. By the time I got out of high school, I had me an athletic and an academic scholarship to go to college. And I went off to school, and I met Millie, and uh, we married while I was in law school. Now, I don't mislead you and tell you that I wasn't doing any drinking at this time. I like to describe it as just a little light drinking. Uh, we didn't have enough money, really, for me to get serious about my drinking, and I suppose really that my education was important to me at that time. But in any event, uh, we married, and our eldest son was born while we were in law school, and I graduated from law school from the University of Texas when I was 22 years old. And that may have been an awful bad era on the part of the state of Texas, as they turned a young genius loose on the general public and I already thought I was pretty smart, but when I got armed with that law license, I really thought I was something. And we moved back to the same general area where I grew up, a little larger place, and I arrived there at the exact right time. You really didn't have to know anything. You just had to kind of go to your office, and there was a lot going on. It was a boom town, an oil town, and I had a lot of things to do. And probably the worst thing in the world happened to me at that time, I started making a little money, and I had a little extra time on my hands, and I really became a big-shot drinker. I joined all the private clubs that you could get in, and you can tell from my background that that's where I belong, in those nice, fine private clubs. It wasn't too long till I was being asked to leave a lot of them, and uh, I didn't understand that too well. Millie was beginning to question my birthright occasionally, and uh, I couldn't understand why she'd get so upset with me. Now, I, I was not a quiet drinker. I drank out in the bright lights. I wanted to share me with everybody. Uh, and I'd sometimes be gone for, oh, two or three days, and she'd get upset about that. And I was one of those kind of people, you know, that I started having lapses of memory. And what I'm trying to tell you, I started having blackout drinking pretty early. And I can remember her asking me, you know, those insane questions about where I'd been, and I'd tell her I didn't know. And I could tell by the look on her face she didn't believe me. And generally, I could tell by her reply to my answer that she didn't believe me. But our business got in pretty bad shape pretty fast, and uh, I have no more idea whenever, when I cross that line uh, into alcoholism than a goose. You know, and tonight it just doesn't make me any difference. I worried about it a long time. The important thing is that I know I crossed it. Uh, it kind of slipped up on me, it seemed. Uh, you know, I got in a lot of trouble drinking, but I didn't always get in trouble drinking. Uh, sometimes the 
police who I knew protected me so I didn't get in too much trouble when they'd come take me out of the place and take me home. But our business started going to, uh, well, the best way for me to describe it is just tell you my life was going to hell in a handbasket. And uh, Millie was moving in and out of the house, and I don't know if any of y'all had that experience or not. Uh, she almost wore out the cars and the suitcases. And uh, I can tell you right now that we never got a divorce, but uh, you can have a pretty shattered life without that ever happening, and you can lose a home. We had a house, but uh, we didn't have a home for a long, long time. And she ran across a lady, uh, and this is kind of typical, I think, the way things happened to me. I bought Millie a new house to sort of appease her about some other things, and I moved in next door to an Al-Anon. Uh, <laughs> real tragedy in my life, and uh, I'm going to apologize to you all in a little while. But this lady was awful nosy. She came over and made it her business to tell Millie that uh, I probably was an alcoholic. Uh, Millie started going to those goofy meetings and uh, bringing all that literature home and scattering it all over the house. And, I, you know, I can't remember anything ever making me any angrier than her exposing me as a potential alcoholic and ruining my business and my life. And... Uh, but in any event, she brought that stuff home, and I picked up that 20 questions one night, and I was, you know, doing a little of my light drinking and going over that exam. And uh, when she got home, I had taken it, and I want to tell you, in keeping with my education, I scored well on it. And uh, when she asked me about it, I told her that Jesus Christ couldn't pass that test. And uh, that is really the way I felt about it. But you know, from that point forward, things got pretty hot around there, and uh, I had a lot of people telling me a bunch of things, and then she got hooked up with this big, tall, Norwegian Lutheran preacher, and he started butting into my life, and uh, he seemed like he caught me in bad shape nearly every time he came to my house, and uh, I thought he was the smartest man I'd ever known for a while to catch me in that kind of shape, and then it dawned on me, you know, that probably six out of any seven days he could have caught me that way. But uh, as a result of this, you know, it got so hot, and I don't know if any of y'all have had this experience or not, uh, I voluntarily decided I'd go to AA to get the heat off of me and uh, get Millie calmed down. So I went to AA, and I got what I went after. Uh, I got her comfortable for a while. I hung around there about nine months, and I never could get me one of those little 30-day chips. Uh, I had a little problem. seemed like I had to drink. Now, you know, even then, looking back on it, and nearly everything I talk about necessarily has to be in retrospect, and I'm not sure that I'm not so brain-damaged still that I can remember enough of it to tell you. But uh, I looked back at those people then, and I thought they were pretty nice folks, really, and I knew a lot of people that I saw there that needed to be there. And I sort of felt sorry for them, but uh, for some reason or other, I wasn't quite that bad yet, and uh, I heard one thing that was told to me in that entire nine months. One night a fella looked at me, and he said, Roy, you may be a little too young, and uh, you may not have drank quite enough. You may not be an alcoholic. And I said, you know, I believe you're right. And uh, I heard him loud and clear, and I went home and told Millie that I'd been pronounced fit by the experts. And uh, 
that it was not necessary for me to go back to any of those meetings of AA, and I went on out to do what I like to call my research. Uh, about five years of it is best I can remember, the last two of which I believe have to be the most miserable time in my entire existence. I cannot remember ever really being comfortable and happy, and I've heard this said around AA, and I've thought about it a lot. Uh, and I really believe it probably happened. Now, I've, I've got a big book, and I brought it with me. I carry it nearly everywhere I go now. And I like to carry that thing because it still has on the cover those circles, you know, where I'd set my whiskey glass uh, drinking while I was reading that book. But uh, I'm kind of convinced if you ever start fooling with that thing and you ever hang around AA, uh, you may not quit drinking, but you sure ain't going to enjoy it anymore. And... Uh, I was a person that I used to like to think that I had a lot of fun drinking, but it got to be work. It wasn't much fun. And, uh, you know, an average day for me was getting up, getting out of the house before Millie and I had one of those conversations, going to my office, closing the door, and getting there awful early, like 7 o'clock. I arrived there before anyone, and all my law partners thought I was really a diligent hand for a while. But I'd go down there so I could call around town and see where I'd been and what I'd done and get my stories together before I had to go home and talk to Millie about what really happened because I didn't know and I sure needed to cover my bases. By 10 o'clock, there was a private club in the basement of the building where I was. I was in it having me a double brandy milk punch and it tasted so good I'd usually have two or three. And then by noon, I'd go out to the oyster house and drink beer and eat uh, raw oysters to try to live. And then, you know, nobody can go back to their office and practice law with booze on their breath. So then I'd settle down to some good serious drinking, and that's the way my life went for an awful long time. And I often left uh, not knowing where I was going, wake up someplace not knowing where I'd been. And in short, I could just tell you that finally, you know, I did nearly everything that I was never going to do and I became nearly everything that I was never going to become. And Millie had done a little bouncing around, and uh, she and I were uh, not getting along, you know, as well as a husband and wife ought to. She still didn't understand, and, you know, I thought she was kind of crazy. Uh, and I was getting ready to take a trip, and I want to tell you about this one. This is only drunk. I really want to tell you about it. It was my last one. I was going to California to see the University of Texas play football, and we were going with a couple who also did a little light drinking. Uh, they had a private plane, and he was going to fly. And Millie decided that she didn't want to go off on another one of those fun-filled weekends and uh, made me kind of angry. Uh, and I had uh, borrowed some money against an insurance policy that somehow had escaped me. It was the only money I had. I owed everybody that loaned me any money. I was four or five payments behind on this big new house I bought, Millie. And I was really in the kind of financial position that I ought to be going first class to California. But the thing that made this drunk so bad is I went, Millie didn't. When I got back, <clears throat> I found out from my then 14-year-old boy what had happened the night before I left because when I got back, Millie was gone. And you know how you can come up to the house and just know that what's happening. Uh, it was dark. There wasn't but one car in the garage, uh, and she and the kids were gone, and she left me a little old short note 
that just said, we love you, Millie and the kids. And you know, that really burned me up until I found out uh, what had happened. And I got to tell you that because Millie may talk about it, and I want to beat her to it and explain it to you before she does. Uh, she calls it our night of violence, and all that really happened was that uh, we got into this little dispute about whether she'd go or not. I invited her outdoors in the alley behind the house and uh, offered to give her a 100-yard head start before I shot her in the head with a 264 Magnum rifle. Now, you know, this is a little girl, and you'll see her. She's about 5'2", and a little blonde-headed girl, and pretty as she can be. And uh, I loved her as much as I knew how to love anybody, and I could not imagine me doing that to her. But when I got back that night and she was gone, you know, to show you what the insanity for me was, the first thing that went through my mind, and this is the truth, I thought, well, that's about right. You know, she stayed around for all these good years. Uh, <laughs> now it's got a little tough, so she's hooked them. And that's really the way I felt. And then I found out what happened, and uh, I kind of understood maybe why she left. But you know, typical drunk that I was anyway, I spent that entire next week uh, drinking to try to get my head straight enough to get all this figured out. And I went alternately from hating her for leaving and just being delighted she is gone because I had that albatross from around my neck and I was finally going to be the great man that God had intended for me to be. And then I'd bawl and cry and I couldn't understand how she could leave a nice fellow like me and particularly when she needed me so bad to help her raise those kids. And uh, I'd been a lot of help to her up to that point. Uh, we had two by this time. We'd adopted one. But at the end of that week, I'm out uh, in a beer joint. I started to say a bar. That's not really accurate in our part of the country. It's just a beer joint. My standard of living had changed a little, and my pattern of drinking had changed. And uh, I was out in the joints drinking. And I was sitting there with a guy that uh, I love to have with me, and if you didn't have one, you ought to have. Uh, I just love this guy because I thought he was the worst drunk I'd ever known in my life. And I'd love to have him with me, and when Millie or anybody else put the heat on me about my drinking, I'd tell him I ain't as bad as old so-and-so. And I'm there with him that night, and he asked me to leave the table. He told me I was crazy and I was going to get us both killed, and he just soon I'd leave the table and not drink with him anymore. And, uh, you know, that'll kind of do something to you. And again, in retrospect, uh, thinking back, at that time, you know, I had me a couple of separate and distinct thoughts. And one of those thoughts, you know, I hope I don't ever have to have again. The other one I hope I can remember as long as I live. The first thought that I had was, you know, here I am, and I'm with a guy that I think is the worst drunk in the world, and he don't think I'm good enough to drink with him. And everything I've always wanted to be is gone. And worse than that, it doesn't look like it's ever going to get any better. In short, you know, I was full of despair and I had absolutely no hope. I believe it's the worst feeling I've ever had in my life. And I hope I don't ever have to feel that way again. The other thought I had was that I knew I had to quit drinking. And worse than that, I knew I was going to have to have some help if I did. And I hope I can always remember those thoughts, you know, that I can't drink and that I need help not to, and I hope I never forget that. And I call this preacher that I 
hated so much, and I'd told this guy one time, if he'd leave and take care of his soul saving, I'd take care of the whiskey drinking, and we'd both be doing something we understood. And uh, the man told me that he wasn't going to bother me anymore, and that whenever I got ready to talk to him about my problem, which was drinking, that I could call him, and until I got ready to discuss that with him, he didn't want to bother with me either. And when he left the room, he did tell me one important thing, and I remembered it. He said, just remember, I'm your friend if you ever need one. And at that moment, I couldn't think of anybody else uh, who really might be my friend. And I called the man and asked him about this hospital he'd wanted me to go to. Now, I had an idea that they were going to send me to the state mental hospital. And, uh, you know, he was a pretty smart guy. As a matter of fact, that was the, one of the two options he gave me. He told me I could go to the Big Spring State Hospital or I could go to this other hospital. Well, you know, that really wasn't any big decision for me to make. Uh, I'd had a brother-in-law in that mental hospital, and I didn't want any of that action. So I went by his office the next morning, and he called up there, and uh, they told him I couldn't get in for 10 days. And, uh, you know, I like to say about this time in my life, uh, a series of what I would have called coincidences started happening to me. Uh, tonight, I would just tell you those were absolute providence. But those people had the nerve to tell him I couldn't get in there for 10 days. And I said, maybe you better tell him who I am and uh, how sick I am and that I need to come. And he said, I have, and they said it'd be 10 days. Uh, and that's how they started me. And, you know, I'm grateful tonight that I had to wait those 10 days. I sure wasn't those first three or four, and I can still remember what they were like. Uh, you know, just a little quick is about the best way I know to describe it. And uh, I couldn't stand to hear the phone ring. Uh, I didn't want anybody talking to me. Uh, I was insane. And an old boy put up with me for 10 days who was a non-alcoholic because, uh, you see, I wasn't going to lower myself to come back to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I really didn't need that. And after the 10 days passed, uh, I think like most any good drunk ought to do, I went and told Pastor that uh, I was feeling pretty good and that I had a lot of business to take care of. And very likely, uh, I really wouldn't have to go to that hospital, that I could probably get my business in pretty good shape. And the man looked at me <clears throat> and he said, Roy, all that's wrong with you is that you don't have any faith. But he said, you don't have to worry about that. I've got enough for both of us. And I asked him... Uh, pretty dumb question. I said, well, I've heard that word faith all my life, and I'd like for somebody to finally tell me what that means. And that guy looked at me and he said, Roy, faith is an experience, and you ain't got any. And uh, he said, after you have some, then you'll know what I'm talking about, and I won't have to explain it to you. And I thought that was the dumbest thing that anybody had ever said to me in my life then. But if you were to ask me tonight to give you a description of it, that's probably how I'd answer you. I've had some of that experience, and uh, that's the only way I still know to describe it. You know, it is an experience. But I went off up there, and uh, I want to tell you briefly what happened to me. Uh, I got in up there, and they sent me to see this little psychologist, a little short fellow, and he had on those built-up shoes. I never will forget that. And I thought, well, maybe I can help this guy. You know, he's bound to have some problems. And uh, he's going over my stuff, and uh, he looks at me and says, well, I see you're a professional man. And I thought, 
Maybe he's going to be all right. He recognizes talent when he sees it. And he said, unless you and I get something straight, he said, if you were as smart as you thought you were, you'd be in Odessa, Texas, practicing law, or you'd be on this side of the desk. Now, do you have anything else you want to talk to me about, about your intellect? And uh, I told him I didn't, and uh, that's how they took care of my intellectual problem. Now, I don't know about any of the rest of you, but I had some bad physical problems. Uh, I had terrible heart palpitations. I just knew I was going to die at any minute. And... Uh, I demanded a complete physical, and they sent me down and gave me the EKG and told me it was fine, and I told them that wasn't good enough. Uh, you know, being a lawyer, I'd done a lot of these cases where we went into this medical stuff, and I knew what I needed, and uh, like most of the time, I was diagnosing myself, and I said, I want a master EKG. And they ran me up and down over those steps for, you know, God, I don't know how long. But I know tonight, if I'd had anything wrong, my heart had killed me. Uh, <laughs> Now, this guy asked me what I did for a living, and I told him I was an attorney, and he told me I ought to be a lumberjack, and that I needed to get out of there and leave them alone and get back upstairs where they could take care of what was wrong with me, that they had some sick, sick folks to treat, and that's how they took care of my physical problem. And then I met this other fellow who told me that he was going to talk to me about my emotional problems and he was going to crack that shell around me and find out what is inside me and made me tick. And I said, no way. He said, well, we're going to do that by exposing you to the first five steps of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, I've been to AA. I know all about those steps. Uh, I don't want to fool with those things. Uh, they're not going to help me. I've already memorized them, forgot them, and there's nothing to them. And he, I said, I'm just not going to do it. And he said, well, you don't have to, but you can't leave up here till you do. So I want to tell you that I voluntarily started out on the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I feel like really, you know, tonight, looking back at it, that I probably took the first half of that first one that night sitting in that beer joint when those thoughts went through my mind. But I didn't understand a lot of things about it then, uh, and I don't understand a lot of things about it probably today. I understand one thing about it, though, that uh, in that steps, one of the greatest paradoxes that's in this program, you know, where they tell you you've got to surrender to win and an absolute gut-level surrender. Uh, I wasn't too good at that, and I didn't understand that. I was a competitor, and I knew how to compete with you, but I didn't know how to cooperate with you. And it didn't make any sense to me that uh, you surrender to win anything. And what I know tonight is that uh, what I surrendered was that typical day that I described to you a moment ago, you know, getting up in the morning and trying to brush my teeth and throwing up, uh, afraid to see anybody, afraid to hear the phone ring, uh, distant and crazy and totally insane. Now, that's what I gave up. That's what they were asking me to give up. And if you hang around here, you know some clown may ask you to give that up. And all they're going to replace that with is this beautiful new way of life that you find here. You know, it, it, it's such a beautiful thing that when they ask you to give it up, they got something else to put in your hand. And I'm so grateful that they started putting that in my hand whether I wanted them to or not. And, uh, you know, I am so powerless over everything. Alcohol is certainly one of them, but I'm powerless over nearly everything. 
And if, whether I had any question about whether my life was unmanageable or not, you know, you don't get 1,500 miles away from your hometown locked up in an alcoholic ward of the hospital if you're doing a very good job of managing your life. Uh, and my management had got me exactly there. Uh, my business was gone. My wife was gone. My kids were gone. Uh, I didn't have any positive thing in the world going for me, and that's where my management had gotten me. And my life tonight is still totally unmanageable in and of myself. And, you know, I need to remember that all the time. When I got to that second one, it gave me some relief. I don't know about anybody else. Uh, and I probably used it for a cop-out for a while. I liked it uh, when I looked at it and I thought, well, you know, that's good. I'm sick. I'm a little insane. Maybe I'm not quite as sorry as I thought I am and uh, not as sorry as these other people have been telling me that I am. And I, I'm sure I did use it for a little cop-out for a while on that basis. But, you know, in looking at that stuff and looking at my track record, uh, I'm a perfect example of what I think the big book talks about, you know, that going back again and again and again to prove that I could do something I'd never done successfully. And I sure labored with that delusion that some way, someday, somehow, I was going to drink like other people. And for me, that's the insanity that that step talks about. And for me to think tonight, after whatever period of time I've been around this program, that I could ever go back out there and drink booze successfully has got to be the rankest form of insanity that I'm ever going to have. Now, I don't do this the way I ought to do it, but uh, also for me to believe that I'm going to get along in this life without applying this program to my daily life is awfully insane for me because that's what saved my life. And my refusal to do that is sure temporary insanity, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, that can result in that total final insanity of me taking a drink if I do it long enough. Now, for me, the promise in that step, uh, I think, is fulfilled. A lot of crazy things, but I hadn't done that ultimate form of insanity, and that's taking a drink. So I, for me, you know, he not only could, uh, he has, and I haven't had to be totally insane for that length of time since I've been back in this program, and I've been pretty comfortable and pretty happy most of the time. Now, there's a fellow at home that uh, probably describes that next one for me better than I can describe it. Uh, I was at best an agnostic, and I was having a little trouble, you know, believing in a higher power or believing anything was higher than me. But this guy explains it uh, this way, and he says he has a lot of things to be grateful for. But probably the thing he has to be the most grateful for is that God let him live long enough to change his mind about God. And I am grateful that that happened to me, too. And you know, uh, this back to this faith thing, there's a lot of things that have happened to me in this program since I've been here. And there are a lot of people I couldn't explain them to. And that's all right. Because the most important thing to me is that I can't explain them away to me anymore. And I used to do that with a lot of ease. The problem I think I really had with number three, you know, uh, you got to make a little commitment when you get there. And I didn't like those commitments, but by the time I got there, I knew that I needed to turn my life over to something or someone. And it probably was God as I didn't understand him. But... Uh, in an effort to just keep trying to do something with it, it got better almost in spite of me. 
And they turned me loose on that four step, and I really went a little goofy when I got to that thing. And I, I don't know about anybody else, but I had me a lot of trouble with that thing. And I was on it about ten days, up and down, day and night. And just uh, this guy was having to do this with. Now, he made me write all of those first three and bring them in to him, and we went over them item by item. When we got to, I thought it was pretty hard till we got to four. And I'd go in every morning, and that man would tear that thing up in front of my eyes and throw it in the waste back, waste basket, talk to me about uh, my father or the lack of one. He called me lots of bad things and uh, send me out of there. And he was about to drive me crazy. Uh, what was driving me crazy was I was having a little experience with some basic self-honesty. And I had had no experience with that for a long time up to that time, and it was really working on me. And I won't tell you this story about it. I uh, kept going to that nurse's station, you know, at weird hours of the morning, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and, bu and bugging those ladies. And uh, I don't remember four or five days of that. Three of them showed up in my room one night. And they pulled the covers back and invited me in, and then they put a teddy bear in there with me about the size of me and covered both of us up and left. And uh, all I want to tell you is that I didn't go back down there anymore. Uh, I got on with that step, and I endured all those ugly things that man said about me. And uh, I found out a lot of things about me. You know, I finally saw me for what I really was not what I thought I was or not what I wanted to be. And when I saw me that way, I started seeing a lot of other people a little bit differently, too. And I don't think it's really that hard. It's like anything else. You know, it's not the tough once it's done and it's over. Uh, but when I got through with it, I couldn't wait to get on with that fifth one. And uh, I'm one of those people that will tell you that it was one of those experiences that I had that felt like the weight of the whole world was gone for me. I found out I had me a partner that could carry part of that around. And uh, I tried to give it to him, but you know, being the way I am, I wanted to hold a little of it back. And uh, I told this fella, I said, gosh, I wish I could change a lot of those things that happened. Uh, I just wish I could go back and do them. And he said, Roy, I do too, but you and I both know that ain't gonna happen. He said, uh, you need to take a look at that serenity prayer. But he told me one other thing that was awfully important to me at that time. He said, you can leave here with a certain knowledge that you do not have to repeat them. And I really needed to hear that. Now then, they asked me if I would go to an AA meeting on a Friday night before I was to leave on Saturday. And I told them I was busy and I didn't have time. And they told me it was all right, but I couldn't go home unless I went. Uh, so I voluntarily went to the AA meeting, and uh, I heard a lot of things that night, and it kind of amazed me. You know, there were some guys talking about, and these were big, tough-looking dudes talking about love and compassion and understanding, and uh, I never had heard that before. Uh, I suspect maybe they had talked about it all the time I'd been there before. Uh, I know now they are bound to have because I hear it nearly every place I go now, but it sort of made an impression on me. And then the next morning, I had to go in and see the psychiatrist, and it was one of those voluntary things, too. I couldn't go home unless I talked to him. So I went to see him, and this guy told me a lot of things, uh, you know, a lot of things I didn't want to hear. 
What he really told me was that uh, if I wanted to be sober when I left that hospital, that I'd go to Alcoholics Anonymous, that 98% of the people who left there and stayed sober did it exactly that way, and that I probably thought I was among the other 2%, but he assured me I wasn't, and that unless I found me a place where I could get involved, that he'd see me again up there in about two or three months. And uh, I told him I'd had all their hospitality I wanted, and uh, I went back and went to the suburban group, of which I'm still a member, and I think it's the greatest group in the world. And if there's anything you don't like about me tonight, you can blame it on them because I'm a product of that group, and I still have that cop-out. So whatever I am is what they made out of me. But I, uh, I want to tell you that uh, I'm not too rebellious. Uh, after all of this, I went back, and I sat on the back row. I got there at 8.30, and when they said the last word of the Lord's Prayer, I was gone out that back door. I didn't want nobody too close to me. I didn't want anybody talking to me. I really didn't want them bugging me. And if I, the truth of the matter is, if I could have been anywhere else in the world and not been drinking, that's where I'd have been instead of out at Alcoholics Anonymous. And I hung around there almost a year, uh, and in spite of me, things kept getting a little better. Uh, in spite of my reluctance and my reticence to do anything, they were getting a little bit better. And long toward the end of this year, a lady came to me and asked me to go to a little conference in Brownwood, Texas. And I told her I couldn't go, that I was awful busy. Uh, you know, I've been fooling around about a year, and I've been through the first five steps, and apparently there was more to the program than the first five steps. Uh, but she kept talking to me about going, and I kept telling her I couldn't. And to make a long story very short, uh, she was one of a number of people that I've run across uh, in this program and immediately prior to getting here that uh, were very bad about telling me the truth. You know, and thank God for those people that love me enough to tell me the truth. I still don't like some of them when they do it, but I love them for it because I still need to hear it. But she just simply said, uh, the truth of the matter is you haven't got $40 to go, have you? And, uh, you know, I guess I still had a little pride left. Uh, and you can't be a big shot lawyer and not have $40, you know, to spend where you want to spend it. And uh, I told her it really wasn't any of her business. And uh, then she said, we're going to fix it up because somebody else is not going, and you can have their deal. And I told her that I neither needed nor wanted any charity. Uh, so, you know, that'll give you some idea about where I was with my pride. Uh, you know, I was, I was still almost willing to die before I'd accept some help. Anyway, I went. Uh, you know, and it's one of those things that happens, and it's happened to some of you at some conferences that you've been to. This one's a small one, and it's at a beautiful place. And uh, I see some people out there in this audience that have been there, and they know what I'm talking about. But something happened to me there that changed my life. You know, I joined Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I began to love people. I began to understand other people loved me. And I came home, and this same lady gave me a surprise first birthday party, and I've never been as surprised in my life. Uh, I had no idea that's what was going on. A fella came and picked me up. I'd been bird hunting with my two boys and was still dirty. I uh, didn't want to go with him, and we were going to go make a 12-step call. 
and I told him I didn't want to go with him. And uh, anyway, I went with him, and we end up at this lady's house, and I go in, and that place is full of people. And they all got a smile on their face. And, you know, they sing happy birthday to you, and you blubber up and bawl and, uh, you know, act like a kid. But I looked around that room, and I really believe for the first time since I'd been back that I knew there were some people that cared about me, and I never would have believed it up to that point. And I tell you that because it was awfully important to me for that to happen to me. And then I had another little experience. They made me program chairman of my group. And I found out for the first time that the reason they had meetings and something happened was because somebody did something. Uh, I had no way of knowing that because I'd never done anything before I got there. And thank God they did that to me. And then I made a terrible mistake. Uh, I got me a sponsor. And I want to tell you about this old gentleman. He's the most beautiful man I believe I've ever known in my life next to my dad. You know, you're not supposed to love a man as much as I loved him. He died about three years ago. But, uh, you know, for me, that man won't ever be gone. Uh, he left enough for me and a lot of other people. And, uh, you know, if we're grateful for what he left, we're going to give it to somebody else. And someone told me that that's kind of how this deal works, you know, that it just keeps getting passed on and on and on. But I tell you what I love about that old man. I I like that look in his eye that he had, you know. Uh, he he just had that glimmer in his eye, and he had that devilish little grin on his face. But better than that, he looked like to me he was pretty comfortable and pretty serene, and he was getting along all right. And he had something I wanted, you know, and he trapped me just by looking at him and being around him. And I started fooling with him, and, uh, you know, this happened at about the right time in my life because it wasn't too long after that till our oldest boy ran away from home, junior in high school, an honor student, you know, smart like his daddy. Uh, his mother may disagree with me, but, you know, a fine kid, and he leaves and goes to California to do all those insane things that his daddy never did, and, uh, you know, it just bent me totally out of shape. And I watched my little Wallanon wife handle that a lot better than I handled it. And that even bugged me a little, too. But I went to see my sponsor about it, and I was going to get the answer to it, and we were going to get it all straightened out. And you know what he did? Uh, he sent me to talk to a drunk. Uh, he sent me to haul a guy to the state hospital. He asked me to go talk at a church or a school. Uh, and where he really trapped me, he sent me over to a little old group to teach the big book. And, uh, you know, this guy knew something about me I didn't even know about myself. He knew I wasn't going without not just reading it. He knew I was going to study it before I went because I wasn't going to go over there and get a fool made out of me not knowing what I was doing. And uh, he knew that about me better than I knew it. And, you know, uh, I got hooked on that book uh, just that way. And it's... Uh, like the book says, you know, I'm one of those idiots that came to scoff and remained to pray. But that's the way that old man handled me over and over and over again. And uh, I'd tell myself I'm smarter than he is, and he ain't going to trap me this time. Uh, I'm going to figure it out. But it seemed like his wisdom overrode my intelligence every time he and I got hooked up. But, you know, I am so grateful for him. He's just the greatest guy, in my opinion, that ever lived. And uh, 
This man developed cancer. He had four or five heart attacks, and uh, he had him a lot of physical problems. And I watched that man die with more dignity than a lot of people can live with, including me. And that hooked me, too, you know. And I still love him, and for me, he's still here. But he got me doing a lot of things. Uh, and, you know, I got back into these steps, and uh, I got rid of a little of that pride. And he'd sit around and tell me, you know, Roy, I don't hate a living human being. And I thought, that is absolutely impossible. There ain't no way. And one day, I'm going to the hospital to see a guy, and there's another one in there that I don't dislike. He and I, he's a public official, and we'd had some minor disagreements. And I didn't dislike that man. I hated him. And, uh, you know, what I wanted to do was get even with him, and uh, that's the way I used to operate. I forgive you just as soon as I could get even with you. And I was waiting to get even with this guy. But he was also in there, and he was losing his eyesight from booze. And I go to the first room, and I find myself walking in this man's room, and... Uh, you may have had this happen to you, you know, and I'm going in there and I don't intend to go. And I said some words that didn't come from me and I didn't intend to say them. But I finally telling that man, you know, whatever it is between us is all right with me. It's okay. I know what's wrong with you. And if I can help you anywhere in the world, please let me do so. He called me the next day, asked me to do a little old thing for him. Uh, really wasn't much. But I knew the hatchet was buried, and I did it, and I can't tell you how good I felt. I didn't hate anybody anymore, and I knew what my sponsor had been telling me about all that time. And I think probably when I'd made my list, I put me on top, and, uh, you know, I feel like I belong there because I was there every time I got drunk. Uh, I don't know anybody else is there every time, but I think maybe I kept me there a little too long before I started making those amends out there where I needed to make them. And, you know, for me today, I like to think that I live at 10, 11, and 12 most of the time, and that's, for me, the right now part of this deal. Uh, and they're awful important to me, and I'm not trying to get involved in a bunch of semantics, and I'm not trying to tell anybody those other nine don't have any merit, and I hope you don't understand me saying that, because that's not what I'm saying. But, you know, uh, I think as much trouble as I had with four, and this may not make any sense to anybody else, but it does for me, you know, as much trouble as I had with four and as much ground as I had to cover, it just kind of makes sense to me if I do that thing daily, uh, it may not be quite that painful again to go back and dig it all out. Now, I have a little trouble admitting I'm wrong, uh, mostly at my house. Uh, that's where I have the worst problem. Uh, Millie and I got a little deal, believe it or not, that, uh, and we ran into it here, oh, a week ago, I guess, uh, maybe less, where we don't go to sleep at night if we're still mad at one another. Now, it causes you to stay up uh, a lot of hours early in the morning, uh, but I'm telling you, for me, it's worthwhile. And we just don't go to bed mad at each other. We hammer it out before we go to bed. And I find if I can do that on some kind of a daily basis, I feel better. You know, if I'm not angry and I'm not resentful and I'm not mad and using up all that energy, and I don't know about you, you know, but I got to work pretty hard. Uh, when I get busy practicing law, I got to work pretty hard, man, what I'm mad at you about. Uh, you know, that's almost a full-time job because if I'm not careful, I'll forget. And uh, damn, that's hard work. You know, and it, it's hardly worth the effort. And I really believe in that step, and uh, Millie and I really do try to work it just that way. 
Now, 11 for me, you know, is uh, the deal. And on page 86 of that book, it, it's an amazing thing. You know, it tells you how to start your day. And, and I get amazed when I look at it sometimes. It says, on awakening. Uh, you know, and that suggests to me that's pretty early in the morning, you know, that I need to do that as soon as my eyes open. And uh, I've really found that if uh, I do me a little communicating with a man before getting my day started, I've got a shot at a pretty good day. And uh, then I find if I'm grateful at night, you know, for any kind of day I've had, and I've had some where I think the only thing I've been able to be grateful for, and this is honest program, so I've got to tell you this, is that I'm breathing in and out, and I ain't drunk. Uh, and I've had some of those kind of days. But, you know, that's a lot better than alternatives, uh, either one of them. And I, when I'm honest, I've always got a thousand more things to be grateful for than I have to be mad about. And I, I have tried and tried to be grateful mad at the same time, and I can't do it. You know, it just won't work. And I'd like to, uh, I'd like to just say, you know, that uh, there are a lot of things that have happened to me that are absolute facts in my life. And uh, I can just look at them, and they've happened and I hadn't had much to do with him. Now, one of them was that boy that I talked about a while ago uh, coming back home. He graduated from college, uh, got a master's degree, a full-point grade average. Uh, he got married. We got a beautiful little grandson, and he and I are pretty tight. And, uh, you know, the whole trip's been worth that uh, if there wasn't nothing else there. That, that's made up for the whole deal for me. But I found that I don't have much to do with a lot of good things that happened to me. And I, I just want to explain to you how that 11th step really does me. Sometimes it just fixes me. Uh, I don't know if you've been here or not. I love the outdoors. And after my sponsor died, I started fooling around an old fella who's an Al-Anon. Uh, and he's just full of serenity and he smoked an old pipe and you just couldn't bug that man about nothing. Uh, he just wouldn't be bugged, and I loved him, you know, just loved to be around him. And we hunted and fished a lot together. And we were down in Mexico one time fishing, and we're at the base of the Sierra Madre Mountains out there on this lake, and it's just like glass. It's late in the afternoon, and the sun's going down, and there's not a ripple on that water out there anywhere. And the fish are biting, and we're catching five, six, seven, eight-pound bass. And I've never done that before in my life. And I'm sitting there looking at that thing, and I laid my fishing rod down. And I'm just looking, you know. And he looked at me and just grinned because he knew what had happened to me. You know, he knew I was fixed. And for that minute, everything in the world was all right with me. You know, I could see God's handiwork all around me, everywhere, and it was okay. And I've had a few of those rare moments since I've been in this program. And God, I'm grateful for him. And I'm grateful for him, too. He died in August. Uh, you know, a great guy, and the losers are the people that won't ever know him. Just a wonderful man. And there's been so many of those kind of people that have helped me learn how to get that fix, even if it's temporary. And you know, uh, when I look at that 12th one, uh, I'd just like to tell you that I had a spiritual awakening this morning. You know, I woke up sober. And every morning I wake up sober, that is literally a spiritual awakening for me. I don't know about you. And I've had a lot of other ones, I think, you know, and uh, for me this has been a gradual thing. I had not seen any burning bushes or lightning bolts or whatever, but there's been a lot of things that have happened to me that have 
given me some of those fixes, you know. And my sponsor was one of those terrible people that told me about that message, and he told me that was the other great paradox in the program, that uh, in order to keep it, you had to give it away, and that sure didn't make any sense to me either. And that's really what I'm doing up here tonight, you know, uh, when I tell you I'm grateful to be here, I'm not too grateful to be up here. But I'm grateful enough, uh, you know, that I'm willing to give away whatever I got if I can keep what you've given me. And I read all through that book, and he showed me all through it, those words that, you know, when everything else fails, you know, that'll still work for you as calling on one of those drunks. And I still do a lot of that. Uh, and mostly what I've done in AA is what I've been told to do, and that's foreign to anything I ever knew before I got here. But I've had to learn to do what I've been told to do. And the other thing that gentleman told me, and a lot of people may not agree with this, and that's all right with me, but he says you practice those principles in all your affairs. And I kept looking for a better word than all. You know, that's pretty inclusive. Uh, some part of uh, anything, you know, but all. And he said, uh, you know, that's the way it is. It says all your affairs. And he told me that uh, I might be the only big book that a lot of people ever read for a while and that they were entitled to the best copy that I was able to give them. And it meant all my affairs and that I was responsible for what I did when I left one of these meetings. And I didn't like that for a long time. But you know, I would like to tell you that as long as uh, my sobriety as a result of those 12 steps in this program, you beautiful people, has been the first priority in my life that I've been given a lot of freedom. And I've been given the, by that I've been given the freedom again to be a father and a husband and a son and a brother and a lawyer and a member of AA, a member of my community. I've been given the freedom to do a lot of things. And all I got to do is take a drink uh, to destroy that, and I go back to being that zero I was before I got here. And what I'm trying to tell you is that I believe I'm the most complete human being I've ever been in my life. Uh, it's not what I want to be totally, but it feels better than it used to feel, and it feels better nearly every day. And I've had a little problem, uh, and I want to tell you this right quick, with my youngest one. It, it seemed like, uh, you know, and I, this is where I, the way I really thought about it, that uh, probably I shouldn't have been a parent. You know, I have a little trouble raising kids. Uh, this youngest one left uh, school at almost the identical age of his older brother. Uh, he went out and got into a bunch of trouble. And when I say a bunch of trouble, I'm talking about felony trouble and uh, penitentiary-type trouble. And, uh, you know, Daddy's having him a little problem being a lawyer and wanting to fix it on the one hand and being this kid's daddy on the other side and knowing that i got to tell him he's going to have to go tell the truth. And that's the way he and I finally solved it, was just, you know, if you want a lawyer to go with you, you have to hire a lawyer. If you want me to go with you, I'm going as your daddy. And we're going to go down there and hull it down, and we're going to tell them what it is, and then we're going to let them chips fall where they belong. He decided he wanted his daddy to go instead of a lawyer to go. And you know, that thing's worked out, too, in spite of me. He got married in July. Uh, moved off down to Fort Worth. And uh, I want to tell you how well I really am about three or four weeks ago, whenever it was. Billy and I were going somewhere, and he called early one morning. And the first thought went through my mind is, oh, my God, I wonder what's wrong now. Uh, you know what he wanted? 
He wanted to tell us he's afraid he'd miss us because he didn't know when we were leaving and that he wanted us to have a good time where we were going. And, uh, you know, you'd have to know this boy in our relationship uh, to know how that fixed me. And I've been able to tell him that I love him and that no matter what he does, I'm still going to love him, that we may not be able to share a lot of things, but that I do love him. And that's been hard for me to come to. And if it hadn't been for this program, you know, I couldn't have ever said those words. And I've had a lot of good things happen to me since I've been here just over and over and over again. And I'm a kind of dummy that at night uh, when I was drinking, I'd lay around and leave the light on so I could sleep. Scared to death, you know, and I don't know what I was scared of. Uh, but I knew something was out there and it was bad and it was going to get me. And I don't have to live that way anymore, you know, thank God, because of this program and you people. And I'd just like to tell you that as I stand here tonight, that the most important things in my life are absolutely resolved because I am here and sober tonight and I have a God I can understand. Thank you.